This is the second part of my second round of this debate. The reason it's in multiple parts is that inmate number 0645-2017 has changed the rules. Originally, he said, Arendt will make a video of, I should be of, his best three evidences for evolutionism. Arendt, what's the best three evidences you know of to support evolutionism? I will play the video in its entirety, unless there's profanity, I will edit that out. But as long as you can talk without cursing, which I don't know if you can, but if you can, but I will play the video in its entirety, but I will hit pause and interject my comments as needed. So we will then supply an edited video. It will be his comments on the proof for evolution with my interjections as often as necessary. So the arrangement was that I make a video and he supplies an edited video responding to that. And I make another video responding to that one and so on. But that's not what happened. When I accepted this debate, I cut out about a half hour of his commentary because it wasn't relevant. Only about six minutes pertained to me and this debate, wherein he introduced me to his audience and made a few personal jabs at me in that introduction. So in my video, accepting that challenge, I too did about ten minutes of intro in much the same fashion for my audience. And he complained all the way through it that I didn't just give my evidence up front, as if he didn't know it was coming, which of course he did. And my intro was followed by 10 minutes of debate, wherein I provided my three best lines of evidence and expected him to then supply an edited video. But that's not what he did. When he realized he couldn't have equal time, because the format he asked for wasn't structured for that, beyond exchanging one video for one video as we agreed, he got upset about it and wanted to get vengeance for not getting equal time in our discussion on the Non Sequitur show. The discussion, whatever you want to call it, the discussion agreement was equal time. And that's only fair. So rather than say, oops, I'm wrong, Hoven, I'm sorry, you only got 30-some minutes, I got 60-some, that wasn't right, was it? Here we go. I'm going to take six years on this one, Aaron, and I'm going to explain word by word where you are wrong, and we'll go back and forth on this until you get tired. Here is a tacit admission that he is deliberately wasting my time. Instead of supplying an edited video as he agreed to do, he replied with seven videos, averaging more than 46 minutes each to my one 20-minute video where there was only 10 minutes of debate. There wasn't much debate in any of his videos either. All he was supposed to do was address my evidence, but he spent the vast majority of that time, four out of seven episodes, bitching and whining and pedantically quibbling about insignificant trivialities that he's still wrong about, but it's not worth going into, and then trying to insult me or bringing up other topics as red herrings, asking questions about other subjects, things I wouldn't even address if we were going to stick to the topic, while also insisting that we should talk about one thing at a time, which I'd prefer to do if he would just let that happen. Instead, he was raving, going on about things that don't have anything to do with his debate with me, or he'd go several minutes at a time with inapplicable anecdotes, misrepresenting absurdities of things I don't really believe or that evolution doesn't really teach because he's relying on straw men as well as a host of other fallacies. And when he does ask a question worthy of an answer, he'd repeat it again later on, and then again a few minutes later, or in the next video, or in all of them. So if I did play the whole thing like he wanted, I'd have to repeat the answer, too, every time he asked it. There's no sense in doing that. But he wanted me to play everything he said, even the off-topic nonsense, without cutting anything. But if I did that, then even if we did equal time, my reply to his 40-minute video would be 80 minutes, and his reply to that would be 2 hours and 40 minutes, and so on. Because they'd have to get exponentially longer if nothing ever gets deleted. And his first response droned on for five and a half hours. Ain't nobody got time for that. The reason I'm telling you this now is that he got mad when I deleted most of his irrelevant rambling to try and cut this back down to sanity. 
So I guess he expects my round two to be at least 10 hours in total. And his round two could be 49 full-length feature films of mostly unnecessary nonsense? No. Debates don't work that way, and I don't work for him. I'm certainly not going to dedicate the rest of my life to answering his next response. I don't think he was just trying to waste my time. I think he was trying to waste yours, hoping to make these rebuttals go so long and get so confused that no one would watch them all, so that no one would see how badly he's losing. Because inmate number 0645-2017 isn't just losing a debate by going against me. He's losing donors and minions to do his work for him. He knows that. And I think that's why he's been so visibly sensitive since our first meeting. He's obviously still a little sore. He doesn't abide by his own rules, so he doesn't make the rules for me. I'm going to fix this mess and do this the right way. He deletes profanity. I delete inappropriate, immaterial, redundant, deliberate distractions. So from here on, I'll still properly address every point or query that pertains to the topic or deserves explanation or rebuttal, but I may ignore everything else that doesn't. If he repeats the same error in five different places in one video or in all of them, I need only copy and correct it once. And if I've already corrected that same error in the last video, I don't need to do it again in this one or the next one. So I expect to post shorter videos than I'm replying to as these progress, once we cut out all his incoherent rambling and extraneous redundancies. And if he posts more response videos than he's replying to, then I say he loses by default, because this is a debate, not a filibuster. He also deleted or disabled his first four videos in this debate, supposedly over a potential copyright infringement. So he corrected that and put them up again, and I downloaded them as soon as he did, and I'm glad I did because he took them down again. I don't know if he's ever going to put them back up, but it doesn't matter. I'll mirror all of them on my channel so you all can see everything he said that he later took down or I cut out. It's hard to sit through, I know, because he is really impressively obtuse, willfully ignorant, deliberately dishonest, and astonishingly stupid about things he does not want to understand, acknowledge, or believe. If he never puts those videos back up, y'all should still be able to see it, where I know he does not want his followers watching my videos without his immediate commentary, because his job is to mislead and deceive, to manipulate, while mine is to educate. I can't call anyone who accepts mainstream science an evolutionist because he... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Here you are confusing mainstream science and evolution. This is the problem, okay? Beer is often sold at football games. Beer has nothing to do with football, okay? And it does not become athletic by association. Uh, Marlboro uses cowboys as their logo to sell Marlboro, and Marlboro cigarettes have nothing to do with cowboys. And evolution is not part of mainstream science. Stop associating it with mainstream science. Mainstream would be what is regarded as normal or conventional, the dominant trend. In 2009, the National Academy of Sciences joined many other organizations in the international scientific community to celebrate the Year of Science, which commemorated Darwin's 200th birthday and the 150th anniversary of the publication of his masterwork on the origin of species. In 1987, Newsweek famously reported that by one count there are some 700 scientists with respectable academic credentials out of a total of 480,000 U.S. earth and life scientists who give credence to creation science. That means that 99.86% of America's geologists and biologists accept evolution, while less than 1% believe in creationism, and then only for religious reasons, and that's here in the United States where we have more creationist Christians than any other nation.
If 99 and 44 one-hundredths is considered pure, as it is in the silver trade, then evolution is accepted by the entire global scientific community. That's about as mainstream as it gets. While creationism is common among the undereducated, creationist scientists are a pitiful minority of religious extremists who can only be productive in unrelated fields. Creationism does not and cannot contribute anything to science. It is the enemy of science. Science deals with things we can observe, study, test, and demonstrate. That definitely applies to evolution, just about all aspects of it, but only to what evolution really is and not the straw man parody that you want your sycophants to think it is. The National Academy of Science declares that evolution is a fact because it can be demonstrated. I can prove that the things I say really are true. You can only lie about that and misrepresent it because there has never been factually accurate evidence against evolution and there is no truth to any of your religious beliefs either. Nothing you can show to be true. Consider that a second challenge for me that you can't answer just like you couldn't answer the first one either. There is nothing about biology or earth science or physical science or chemistry that involves evolution. It's a completely useless religion stirred in and mixed in with our science. So don't, don't try to sneak your evolution in under the guise of science. It's not part of science, Mr. Nelson. Shows how little you know. Science Daily counts evolution as one of four foundations of modern biology. And of course, pioneer biologists and even today's leading textbook biologists overwhelmingly share that conclusion. Even the ones who believe in the Christian God. He wants to establish the fallacy of false equivalence. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Fallacy of false equivalency. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> what is the fallacy of false equivalency? Okay. Here's a summary from Wikipedia. False equivalence is a logical fallacy in which two completely opposing arguments appear to be logically equivalent. When in fact they are not. I'll look it up on Wikipedia and they give a few examples, okay, of false equivalency. Here we go. Examples. Okay. They're both living animals that metabolize chemical energy. There's no difference between a pet cat and a pet snail. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Aaron, this is precisely what you do, the false equivalency. Somebody, I asked you, do you think a pine tree, a whale and a pine tree are related? Your answer was yes, they're both eukaryotes. A eukaryote is a cell that contains a nucleus wrapped in its own little membrane. That's a common cell structure for millions of different creatures, okay? I know the <clears throat> elephant and the pine tree are related. They both have a trunk, okay? But the, you talk about, you're accusing me of the logical fallacy of false equivalency? No, sir, look in the mirror. You said an elephant and a pine tree are related because they're both eukaryotes. You are doing the false equivalency. Is that how you admit that elephants and pine trees really are eukaryotes, just like I said? And that, as you unwittingly implied, that it is also the biggest of a long succession of taxonomic categories? Because when I asked you to give me two examples of organisms that scientists would consider closely related, but which you imagine to be separate kinds, you went instead the other way, to give me the two most distant organisms you could think of. Way to fail the question. Here's the false equivalence. On the one hand, we have every one of the world's scientific organizations with the greatest minds of the modern day publishing nearly 27,000 peer-reviewed articles documenting what we can observe, test, and demonstrate to be true about evolution. And on the other hand, 
We have a willfully ignorant religious fanatic in a Hawaiian shirt in Backwoods, Alabama, who bases his science on comic books that he wrote himself on his own lack of education or authority. An evil spirit spells and curses, but that's what he... Evil spirit spells and curses? When have I ever said that? Though you may not realize it, because you obviously haven't given this much analytical thought, you believe in supernatural devils taking on spiritual form. You think an evil spirit spoke everything into being with an incantation, and that he created the first man with a golem spell. And you certainly believe in enough curses, don't you? But belief in a god that created the world, how could that possibly be bad? I could write a book answering that question. So it might be better here to say, how could that be good? Why should anyone allow themselves to be absolutely convinced of something that is not evidently, probably, or even possibly true? Especially when faith is the most dishonest position it is possible to have, being exclusively auto-deceptive with no way to determine the real truth about anything, and the entire history of religion and even current events showing belief in God to be the catalyst of the most evil acts of heartless cruelty and thoughtless negligent stupidity ever committed. I think that has helped many people. <laughs> no. Comfortable delusions may have some placebo effect, but no greater than that of drugs or alcohol. In fact, many people trade one for the other, because religion is nothing but logically fallacious thinking that can be addictive. But nothing fails like prayer. Wishing on a star doesn't work. Two hands working will accomplish more than a thousand hands clasped in prayer. And the reason you clasp your hands on your knees is because you're taking the position of a slave, not to a god but to men pretending to speak for a God that they made up in order to control you, to get you to do their work by calling it the Lord's work. Which reminds me, how is construction coming on Dinosaur Adventureland? And Kent is fond of repeating the lie that the evolution theory is the dumbest and most dangerous religion in the history of the world. He said, Kent is fond of repeating the lie. Aaron, that's not a lie. It's true. I'll say it until I die. Evolution is the dumbest and most dangerous religion in the history of the world. Except that it's not a religion by any definition. We've been all over this. Nor is it dumb, since it's well beyond your ability to understand it or even accept what it really is. Nor is it dangerous. Understanding how evolution works offers advantages, allowing us to avoid danger and save lives. Even if evolution was a religion, it still wouldn't be the dumbest. Look at the Mormons, the Scientologists, or that cult run by a fraudulent, fanatical Floridian felon under the guise of an independent Baptist. That's certainly a dumb one. And evolution wouldn't be the most dangerous religion if it were a religion, since every religion has killed people in the name of whatever god they made up. But that's never happened and couldn't happen in the name of the one and only theory of biodiversity. You just told five lies in eight words. I know you can do better than that. I can't think of anything dumber than to teach the kids we all came from a rock. Which is another lie, because evolution doesn't teach that, but creationism does. You want to teach kids that they are literally magically animated mud. I talk about a dumb religion. Dangerous, too. You'd rather psychologically damage children by telling them that they're fallen, defective, having to plead forgiveness for being born broken, rather than let them know that they have arisen from a heritage of successful survivors, because you want to yoke them for your own uses rather than let them know what strength and potential they have on their own. And there's nobody to answer to. How could you have right and wrong? How could you have any rules? 
Where's the standard for right and wrong, if evolution is true? Answer that in your rebuttal, please. So, Where's the standard for right and wrong if atomic theory is true, or cell theory, or the germ theory of disease? In any case, the standard for right and wrong was, I think, best laid out by Scott Clifton in his video, Treatise on Morality. A particular action or choice is moral or right when it somehow promotes happiness, well-being, or health, or it somehow minimizes unnecessary harm or suffering, or it does both. A particular action or choice is immoral or wrong when it somehow diminishes happiness, well-being, or health, or it somehow causes unnecessary harm or suffering, or again, it does both. What Scott said is true whether evolution is true or not, whether there's a God or not, or even if God used evolution as his mechanism of creation in his infinite wisdom, bearing in mind that the Lord works in delirious ways. Regardless, laws are established and enforced by people rather than gods. Even if reality isn't real but your God somehow is, doesn't matter. Either way, history will be our judge. And let me point out that anyone who uses the Bible as a moral guide would be a criminal in every country on this planet. But it's okay, because you believers can pick and choose what you want and ignore the rest. You can say that one chapter of Leviticus is the word of an eternal and unchanging God, but that another chapter of Leviticus doesn't matter because that's the Old Testament and Jesus changed the rules. Just for the first half of that book and not for the second half? And then you can say that your Savior's rules don't matter either if they're inconvenient for you, so that you don't have to render unto Caesar if you don't want to. And the reason people have to enforce God's law there is because people are the ones who wrote it, and you obviously already know that. Because the Gospels of Luke, Mark, and Matthew all say that Jesus said that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another has committed adultery. How many times have you been divorced and remarried now? Are there any laws you do follow? I also noticed that your son has dishonored you. You know what your God's standard of morality commands you to do about that, don't you? I've met your son a couple of times. What an insufferable prick he is. But despite that, I'll bet you don't have enough faith to do as your Bible commands, because even you are more moral than your Bible. I'm not repeating a lie. I'm repeating a statement you don't like. I'm exposing a truth when I say that, Mr. Nelson? No. The truth is what the facts are, what we can show to be true. You can't defend what you just said. We've already seen you fail at that before. We've shown that what you say is false. I don't like your statement because it is a lie, and I don't like lies. Or liars. If man is just animated meat, if your brain and your body is nothing but a collection of chemicals that got together by random chance over billions of years, how do you trust your own thoughts and your reasoning processes? Because they've been honed by innumerable generations of resourceful survivors who had to have an accurate understanding of the world around them. We're not just chemicals, we are more than the sum of our parts. But even if there was a God, there's no denying that we are still chemicals. Thus, you and I are both susceptible to the same potential for cognitive failures regardless what we believe, though having faith does make that worse. I don't have an absolute trust in my own reasoning because I've seen how subjective impressions like yours can be deceptive. I'm aware that eyewitnesses are the least reliable form of evidence and that pe people can remember the same thing differently, or they think they remember things that never even happened. So I don't rely on my own personal feelings, tastes, and opinions to the extent that you believers do because that is subjective and prone to error. Instead, I prefer objective verification to ensure that I am sane and correct about what I say. If you have to deny reality to believe in a fairy tale with gods and monsters and 
magic spells and other impossible absurdities in lieu of or even in spite of evidence, then how could you possibly have any confidence in your reasoning processes at all? That's what a religion is? That's your definition of what a religion is. Don't start with your false idea and then build upon that sand foundation. Let's go on here. Because that's what all religions are. My definition isn't false. It's the most accurate definition you're likely to find because it's corroborated by extensive research in comparative world religions in addition to other definitive sources. I'm right about this, and you're still wrong. But that doesn't apply to evolution or any other aspect of science either. Well, there you go again. That doesn't apply to evolution or any other aspect of science. Do you see how he constantly tries to weave the two as if it's part of science? Evolution is not part of science. I love science. Evolution isn't science. I don't think you even know what science is. You certainly don't ever demonstrate scientific principles or practice in anything you ever do. Since I have read all of Darwin's work and that of so many other professional scientists after him, I have to think that after taking multiple university science courses in evolution as well as cladistics, historical geology, and paleontology that I and the universities teaching those courses as science should know what evolution is better than some willfully ignorant P.T. Barnum grifter who bought his bogus doctorate from a religious degree mill through a mail order catalog. Evolution is not a religion, and Kant knows it's not. But he is no. I don't know that it's not a religion. I honestly, sincerely believe evolution, the first five of the six I give, are religious. They have to be accepted by faith. There is no proof, scientific proof, that a speck of nothing can explode and create everything. There's no evidence for that at all. How can you argue against a position if you don't even know what the position is? As I explained in my video, everything from nothing, a fourth spatial dimension could inflate a three-dimensional universe in a manner that would look like, but not actually be, something coming from nothing, the same way we would appear if we were to pass through two-dimensional scanner. But what we know is that the evidence, not faith, indicates that the universe is expanding. Of course, that means that it was once much more compact in the past, mathematically, to a single position nearly 14 billion years ago. But even if you don't accept the singularity, how do you account for the current expansion? Or its obvious implication? And why am I asking you? If I don't know it, you certainly don't. You believe on faith. I follow evidence. There is no evidence of any star forming. None. Nobody's ever seen one form. We don't even know how it can happen. Nobody's ever seen that, so you believe it. You mean nobody's ever seen that before earlier this year? I mean, nobody's ever seen that before 2013? I mean, before 2010? Actually, they've been watching this one form since 1996. How many times does something have to happen before you admit that it happened? There's no evidence of a planet forming from a hot molten ball of rock. There's no evidence for that. That's a religious belief. We have rather extensive evidence of that. Depending on the size of the hot ball of rock, it might be a planet already. But there's this thing called gravity that attracts and adds on other smaller bodies of random materials constantly and continuously, indefinitely. We see this happening literally all the time. And some of these meteors include water ice and highly complex organic chemicals trapped within the rock and metal. How do you think it got there? There's no evidence that life can start in a warm little pond or organic soup. That's part of a religion. 
No, that is a series of scientific experiments that I already told you about in the last episode, which inspires investigation but does not require belief. That's why there are more than a dozen competing or perhaps coordinated hypotheses being examined, so not remotely like a religion. There is no evidence anywhere in the planet, anywhere in recorded history, that any animal or plant has ever produced anything other than its kind. I know you don't like the word kind. That's what the Bible uses. I think I'll stick with that, please. Okay. Well, there's your problem. You don't know what a kind is because the Bible doesn't know what a kind is because the people who wrote it were completely clueless. So you are too. It's an example of the blind leading the blind. Your sacred fables name birds as a kind, but then subdivides them into sorts of birds. And how many kinds of birds are there? Because the Bible says there's multiple kinds of birds. Well, why aren't they all collectively referred to as the bird kind? And why are there multiple kinds within one kind? And not only do we not know what a kind is, but we don't know what a sort is either. Are they the same thing? Or what about feathered dinosaurs that are virtually indistinguishable from birds? Which kind are they? The ignorant primitives who wrote the Bible obviously didn't know anything about taxonomy. They classified things by what they do rather than what they are. That's why whales and lobsters are both described as fish. And that's why bats are described as birds in one verse because they fly. And in another verse are described as four-legged locusts because they swarm like grasshoppers, which means they cross over into the other kind called creeping things. The only other kind that the Bible mentions is the beast kind. But then later, the Bible says that mankind is part of the beast kind, too. If you only understood what evolution really is, I'm sure you'd realize that your kinds within kinds is almost the same as my clades within clades, just without the unnecessary invisible genie. That's all he has. That's all I have are mistakes and, and errors. Have you listened to my seminars? Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, we all have. All my, all my friends have seen him, and we all have the same reaction. This could very well be the stupidest person on the face of the earth. Unless there's profanity, I will edit that out. But as long as you can talk without cursing, which I don't know if you can, but if you can. Gosh darn it to heck, how am I supposed to argue with this? There's another example. You cannot argue. You think profanity enhances the discussion. To me, it demonstrates a low IQ. That's what my daddy taught me. You can't think of anything else to say, so let's curse and swear and dazzle him. Dazzle him with my profanity. I'm not the least bit intimidated by it. And as I said, you had something in your mouth I wouldn't want to hold in my hand, okay? so But if you want to put that kind of stuff in your mouth, go for it. It looks like with the wedding ring you're married, you might want to warn your wife that you had that in there before you kiss her. I think. <laughs> uh, you are so dumb. You are really dumb, for real. So I guess Hoban hadn't really thought this through. And that's especially obvious when he says that we should talk about one thing at a time, which we should. Yet at the same time, he tells me to list three different lines of evidence at once. Uh, Mr. Nelson. Yes, I want you to list the three things that you think are the best evidences for evolution. And then we will talk about them one at a time. I guess I don't see a problem with that. What is there a problem with that? I'm giving you an opportunity to list the three best evidences you know of for evolutionism, and then we'll talk about them one at a time. Why would you think that's a contradiction here? I don't understand. So we can't talk about one thing at a time, can we? Why is it? I don't understand. You can't list three things and then we talk about them one at a time? Go ask your mama to explain it to you, okay? It's not hard. You're the one who said you didn't understand, so I'll explain it to you.
If we were talking about one thing at a time, we'd both contribute to one topic and hash that out to some conclusion before we both begin discussing the next item. According to your invitation, we were supposed to discuss three things at once just to start with. But in the course of this, you've asked me a flurry of other questions on many other topics that have nothing to do with my evidence for evolution, so we're not having a discussion about one thing at a time, but on all these other things at once, because discussion on all of them will close at the same time. If I have to explain simple things like this, then I worry how you're going to understand the more complicated concepts than this that I have yet to explain to you. I'm not going to keep my video unlisted and let him edit it twice before anyone sees it. There's no reason to do that, and there are good reasons not to. Fair enough. Why would I? So he can sell copies? <clears throat> I'm a YouTuber. Un Is a YouTuber an occupation? Is that something you go to school for? <laughs> so someone who posts a YouTube can claim to be a YouTuber? Yes. Is that like an honorable profession? I mean, <laughs> are there any restrictions on who can do that? Yes. Is there any training? Is there some you get a, like a certificate? I'm a YouTuber. Congratulations. Okay. What that means is I make my money by posting videos to YouTube rather than selling DVDs like you're doing. I have to make a half dozen videos a month on this topic anyway, so I will obviously publish my responses and make more money than you do selling your DVDs. So I want to thank you because whooping on you has been the easiest and most gratifying project I've started in months. And I get to do it again and again and again for the rest of this month. So, thank you. I'm not peddling DVDs like it's 1999, and I wouldn't go into any partnership with that snake oil salesman anyway. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <clears throat> I don't want to be partner anyway, but let me just see here. Uh, let's see. Snake oil salesman. <laughs> Here's a summary from Wikipedia. Snake oil is a traditional Chinese medicament utilizing fat extracted from the Chinese water snake. It is a rubefacient and or ointment. So the Chinese for centuries have been using snake oil as a medicine. Okay, It, it was used in the United States. Uh, snake oil. I don't know, what do you milk the snake or something? How do you get the, I don't know how you get the oil out of the snake, but that's the snake's problem. Anyway, um, Wikipedia says it's been used as medicine for centuries. Uh, Traditional Chinese medicine using fat extracted from the Chinese water snake. It is a rubefacient and an ointment. It is applied topically to relieve minor physical pain. It has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for many centuries and is a relatively common medicine prescribed by doctors ascribing to the practice of traditional Chinese medicine. Okay, I don't sell snake oil, uh, Mr. Nelson. I never have. I don't intend to. I wouldn't be interested in that. So why would you say you wouldn't want to be a partner with that snake oil salesman? Why would you say such a thing? When have you ever... Check my website. Steve, you built it. Do we have any snake oil for sale on there? Uh, no. No. Julie, you work in the bookstore. Is there any snake oil for sale around here? No. Mr. Nelson, I'm not a snake oil salesman. As I'm sure you already know, a snake oil salesman is a colloquialism referring to someone who knowingly sells fraudulent goods or who is himself a fraud, a quack, a charlatan, and other derogatory terms that describe what you are. So I will send him the video link after it is published for all to see, and he's welcome to do the same thing in reply. Well, good. That's what I'm going to do. And you, apparently you did send somebody. I, I did not know about this. I would have responded first day had I known. Everybody kept commenting, are you going to respond to R and Raj? I, I, I never heard that he did. So thank you for responding, at least. We'll continue here.
This also enables the audience to determine the winner themselves rather than... Very good. I think the audience should determine the winner themselves, okay? Rather than... Now listen to what he says here. ...than have him simply declaring victory in his final edit before sending it to his misinformed donors. Declaring victory in my final edit before sending it to my misinformed donors. Hoven translation. Anybody who doesn't believe him is dumb. If you believe what I teach, you're dumb. Is that kind of how you would interpret that? No. If someone believes your lies, it doesn't make them dumb, but it does mean you fooled them. Even smart people can be deceived and made fools of. And you should know that I've gotten plenty of emails from people thanking me because they used to believe you. Now, if you're going to prove evolution is true, obviously you would have to prove that God didn't do it. No, wrong again, as always. That would be the fallacy of false dichotomy, failing to account for other alternatives. The most obvious being that God did do it, but that he used evolution as his mechanism. That is what each of these Christians believe, who are also evolutionary scientists. Because which is better, designing each little thing to look exactly as if it evolved, or to devise a system that naturally produces emergent properties of incidental design so that the earth can bring forth all these things just like the Bible describes? Of course, another option is that God exists, but that the Bible got him all wrong because it was written by Iron Age primitives who obviously had no idea what they were talking about. I'd like to see how you can do that. You, you want us to pay for this religion to be taught. The burden of proof's on you to prove that it's the only, only, only scientific explanation, the only reasonable explanation. That is correct. Evolution is the only theory of biodiversity there is or ever was, and it is the only one supported by reason. Creationism meets exactly none of the criteria required of a scientific theory, and it is assumed without reason and defended against all reason. If you're walking through the woods and you find an arrowhead, an arrowhead, and I said, I want you to explain how this came to be, but you cannot use man as your answer. Well, you might go off on all kinds of scientific explanations about thermal expansion or exfoliation or uh, abrasion or contortions and <laughs> come up with any ideas you want. There's only one logical answer. Somebody made it. There's only one logical answer. God made the world. Now, if that bothers you, I'm sorry. It only bothers me because it's not logical. First, thank you for recognizing that an arrowhead or a watch is indicative of design where the rocks and dirt around it are not. That's an important point. Because we know that watches and arrowheads are manufactured by people and can't be produced naturally. They can't reproduce themselves or alter their own design either the way life can. And we know a number of systems that can create all these things naturally, except for the things that are only created by men. That's why your God can create dinosaurs and planets and everything that humans can't make, but he can't make anything humans can make. He can't make a box or a boat or a book or a building without needing humans to do all of his work for him, almost as if he isn't even real. So the only logical explanation is that humans have to invent these things for God because they also invented God since God was never necessary in nature. I'll accept anything that qualifies as evidence for evolution. What do you have? Has anybody ever seen life come from non-life? Yes, if you're talking about man-made microbes being assembled in the lab. And we know how it can happen in nature, too. But that's not evolution. Stick to the topic. Has anybody ever seen a dog produce a non-dog? No, because evolution doesn't allow that. 
Apparently, before I can show you evidence of evolution, I have to explain to you what evolution is, because you obviously don't know. Or you do, and you're just lying and refuse to admit it. Has anybody ever seen a single-celled organism turn into a two-celled organism? And I don't mean a colony. I mean a two-celled functioning organism. Yes. It wasn't just two cells as a couple, but we have seen the evolution of new functional multicellular species arising from unicellular algae under direct observation in the lab. Has anybody ever seen a mutation that adds new information? We see mutations that detract information like cave fish going blind. That's losing, not gaining. Yes, in my video, The Phylogeny Challenge, which you failed to answer, I cited peer-reviewed scientific studies of specifically identified mutations that have increased complexity and that have added new genetic information. Every religion really honestly believes what they believe, and they try to get others to convert to their religion, some at the point of a sword or a gun. But <clears throat> it's normal for every religion to believe they're correct and to want to get other people to believe like them. That's what your religion's been doing for the last 70 years. No, it isn't. The beauty of science is that it works because it's propelled by doubt rather than by belief. Science is a self-correcting process where religion starts out wrong and stays wrong and in fact gets wronger over time. But I have to wonder what you're talking about when you mentioned the last 70 years. The theory of evolution is more than twice that old, so what happened in or around 1948? What observation do we have of any animal ever producing a different kind of animal? You already mentioned some of that yourself. Nobody's ever seen any animal produce a different animal. I've read bunches of different articles where people try to make, they look at some little bump on a frog and say, oh wow, or a ladybug, this one's got 12 spots instead of 11. Oh, it's still a ladybug, sir. And you're still an ape, just a different kind of ape than some other species. Your inability or refusal to understand this subject is not evidence against it. I note that that was the same defense that you attempted when you were convicted of tax fraud. You tried to argue your way out of that by saying you didn't understand what you were being charged with or why. That's called the argument from incredulity fallacy. And it will not help you here just like it didn't work in court either. If Owen wants to debate science, he's going to have to follow certain rules. One Science is things we can observe, study, and test. I'd like you to follow those rules. I will continue to do so, of course, but for once I will require you to do the same. Remember the rule I expressed earlier that you can't redefine things in ways scientists would not use those terms? That's going to be important here since your entire shell game depends on you lying about what evolution is. I'm not going to let you get away with that. I remember another debate that Hovind had where his opponent accurately guessed what evidence Hovind would ask for so that upon demand, his interlocutor produced a printed stack of peer-reviewed articles. Hovind literally did a hand-waving dismissal, looked away and said, that's not evidence, that's just a bunch of paper. If someone hands me a stack of paper and say, this is peer-reviewed articles, that is now evidence for evolution. That's right. Peer review is when other people check your math and repeat your experiments or analyze your conclusions to make sure you got it right or find out where you got it wrong. So when peer-reviewed articles are offered, we know they've been vetted to at least some degree. Rather than the frauds, hoaxes, and false assertions you tend to make that can't be confirmed and typically turn out to be false or misrepresented. Like, remember when you referred to the Ecostones as evidence of pre-Columbian natives living alongside dinosaurs? That was shown to be a hoax perpetuated by a crooked dentist who paid local tribesmen to carve these stones and he tried to have them chemically treated to fool the scientists. 
but it didn't work. His fraud was exposed on national television, and even Answers in Genesis admitted that, but you still didn't. For one thing, anyone who studied dinosaurs in the last 30 or 40 years would immediately recognize that the drawings on the Ica stones were inaccurate and closely matched children's toys that were produced at that time rather than what these things really looked like. Since you know less about dinosaurs than many children, it's not surprising that you were fooled by those two. Of course, peer-reviewed articles reflect actual research experiments that really do qualify as evidence. Peer-reviewed articles, think about that. In North Korea right now, <clears throat> how many peer-reviewed articles are being written saying, we don't think communism works? Do we have economic magazines in this country where people discuss different economic theories of what works and what's, where how to invest your money and stuff like that? There's a whole branch of people, a whole bunch of people involved in economics, the bankers, etc. <clears throat> are they allowed to write articles back and forth and say, hey, we don't think capitalism works, we think communism works, or we don't think communism works, we think socialism works, whatever. Are there any peer-reviewed articles in North Korea questioning communism? You think there are? What would happen if somebody wrote an article and said, I don't think communism works, I think capitalism is a better system? The difference, of course, is if you want to get rich and famous in science, you have to challenge the status quo, though that can take some time. Alfred Wegener's tectonic plate idea eventually gained enough evidentiary support to be elevated to the level of theory, but he was already dead by then, and he was ridiculed over it while he was still alive. These are lessons scientists must learn. Science is a self-correcting process, like playing a game of 20 questions. With each new question, you have an increasingly accurate understanding, even if you're still considering some notions that haven't been corrected yet. That's why science used to believe some really dumb things. And religion still does. Because religion never corrects its errors. For example, when the Bible says in Genesis 30 that if cattle mate while looking at a striped stick, they'll produce striped calves, if somebody had proposed that as a hypothesis, we could test it and prove that it's wrong, even if we didn't yet know about genetics. But you can't correct any of the many errors in the Bible the way you can a failed hypothesis. Instead, you're commanded to believe the Bible anyway, even when you know it's wrong. I don't buy your peer-reviewed article. I think the, this, the scientific peer-reviewed process has been sabotaged and uh, <laughs> taken over by the evolutionists, where if you don't claim to believe in evolution, your stuff won't get published. So what you're telling me is that there's some vast conspiracy, a completely cohesive conspiracy that's been going on for hundreds of years to fake all the evidence of evolution, so we should reject everything science has confirmed that we actually know to be true or false, and we should instead believe you and your bald assertions solely on your authority, just because you said so? Because you can't show any evidence indicative of creation, nor any evidence against evolution, except for your inability to understand it. Ignorance of the science is no excuse. That's not evidence, the fact that the majority of something believes something. No, the evidence is the body of verifiably accurate reasons why the majority believes something. I think you find peer-reviewed articles in George Washington's time that all said, if you're sick, take out some blood, you'll get better. They would take out blood out of the right side, and then to keep the person balanced, take out blood out of the left side. Check out the doctrine of humors. That was the peer-reviewed science of George Washington's day. Check out the peer-reviewed articles about big rocks falling faster than little rocks, because Aristotle said so. That was taught for 2,000 years. To Galileo came up with a brilliant, simple question. Hey, guys, if I drop a 10-pound rock and a 5-pound rock, would the 10-pound rock fall faster? They said, oh, yeah, Aristotle said it would. 
He said, what if I break the 10-pound rock in half and tie the two pieces together with a string and drop it? Does it fall like a 5-pound rock or a 10-pound rock? Completely stumped him. We don't know. How about let's go up on the Leaning Tower of Pisa and try it? And they dropped off a cannonball and a BB and they fell at the same speed. But the peer-reviewed articles said, oh no, big rocks fall faster. I would check out that peer-reviewed article, and I tried to, but it doesn't appear to exist. And Scientific American explains that the reason that it doesn't is that the first time peer review was even proposed was in 1731, a hundred years after the event you describe. And that the peer review process with outside reviewers wasn't implemented until 1940, so there wasn't any peer-reviewed articles in George Washington's day either. So, in your next reply, produce the peer-reviewed articles you described. Failure to do so will prove that you've lied yet again. It is true, most of the peer-reviewed articles in science magazines today will have to support the evolution theory because they won't get published if they don't. See what happened to uh, Robert Gentry when he published peer-reviewed articles about the radio polonium halos. Is that book in here? It's kind of a yellowish color. Robert Gentry, Creation's Tiny Mystery. Anyway, he was publishing in the major magazines, and all of a sudden they realized, there it is right there. Hand me, hand me your phone, would you? Robert Gentry, up in Nashville, Tennessee, Creation's Tiny Mystery, he discovered radio polonium halos in granite rock. Well, polonium has an extremely short half-life. It only lasts a few thousandths of a second. And so <clears throat> he said, this rock was never molten. If the rock was melted, liquid, the halo would have flown, uh, flowed away. How many of the 4th of July fireworks from last 4th of July that blow up in the sky and make a ring, how many are still hanging up there in the sky? None. But if a firework went off in a giant block of jello, the ring would be preserved. Okay, the rings preserved in granite rock <clears throat> are clear evidence it was never liquid. The Bible says when God made the world, it was under water. You guys believe it was a hot molten mass. How do you explain the radio polonium halos? It's got polonium-218, polonium-216, I believe. Read the book. So his articles were published until they realized, oh, no, this proves our Big Bang Theory wrong, and they shut him off like a spigot. Explaining polonium halos was actually the first challenge ever put to me when I started debunking creationist claims some 20 years ago. Although I didn't come up with the answer to this one by myself. Turns out that way back then, this was already part of a long list of debunked creationist claims. This detail-intensive article explains a number of Gentry's mistakes, some of which he admits, and reveals that the halos in question were more likely caused by radon-222, which has a half-life of nearly four days and would produce the same effect in cooling and solidifying magma. Now, why did they shut Gentry down? Because his shoddy practices produced a result that contradicted everything else we know to be true. That tends to throw up a red flag that somebody made a mistake. And the error probably lies with the one thing that doesn't match everything else. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and Gentry was off by several orders of magnitude. So if your data indicates that New York City is only 17 feet away from Los Angeles, someone's going to check your math and find the problem. Is this one of those examples your associates in Answers in Genesis were talking about when they complained that you're still repeating arguments that were refuted decades ago? Peer-reviewed articles is not evidence. It sounds to me like you just want to assert whatever you like without having to back anything up or admit when any amount of data proves you wrong.
Another rule is that he doesn't get to redefine scientific terms in ways other than mainstream Well, then you don't get to redefine science either. Look at the dictionaries from 1880. Science is knowledge from the Latin word seer, to know. It isn't just to know. It's how to know whether you know and how to know more than you know now. The purpose of science is to improve understanding, and the only way to do that is to seek out the flaws in your current perception and correct them. You can't do that if you hold beliefs based on faith, because if what you believe is wrong, like every faith-based belief almost certainly is, then there's no way to prove it wrong that you would ever accept. So you'll never correct yourself and will remain wrong forever. But science is the very opposite of that. You can never prove anything right to the extent that you can prove things wrong. And we've proved an awful lot wrong with the Bible already, but even if we hadn't, creationism still fails because it requires faith. You just gotta believe it because you can't show that there's any truth to it, nor even any possibility of truth to it. You have to show that there's a there there, some indication that what you're talking about is at least possible. And beyond that, you have to show evidence that it is also probable. For example, what you would call microevolution and speciation, we know that that degree of evolution happens. We can argue how far it goes, but to start with, we have at least this much that we both already know is really true. And you already accept that it does produce new species, although you don't know what the implications of that are. So you've already almost there on the origin of species. But what about microcreation? Anybody ever confirm that anything could be created the way you're talking about? Do we have anything to go on at all? No? So out of all the world's religious books written by people pretending to speak for their gods, all purporting to be the absolute truth and the revealed word of the one true God as written by their inspired scribes and all that nonsense, we have your favorite fables and that's it. That's not enough. Because once you can show that there is at least some truth to what you're saying, if you could do that, then beyond that you'd have to show that it's also falsifiable, meaning that if it's wrong there must be some way to know that. So science comes up with predictions about future discoveries, what we should expect, if it's true or if it's false. And they devise hypotheses to test them to see whether they fail. That's how they disproved Lamarckism. And if there was ever a mammal with feathers, for example, that would refute Darwinian evolution too. So how do we test your hypothesis to see if it fails? What do we know? And then you've got to get into, well, how do we know what we know? Well, we know things by observation, by experimentation, by testing. And every farmer in the world will tell you, cows make cows. Yes, and from the archetypal aurochs, we've bred many different varieties of cattle using evolutionary principles. Now, that's according to artificial selection as opposed to natural selection, and those two methods do produce opposite results, I admit, because nature isn't going to design one animal to be better food for another one, obviously. But it's still the same mechanism, taking advantage of random mutations that occur and offer some effect that could become common or even dominant across a population generations later. That's what evolution is and how it works. It says he studied paleontology at Dallas. I don't know what that means for sure. He walked onto the campus and picked up a rock. It doesn't say which campus. Uh, I studied paleontology in 37 countries and all 50 states. I have studied lots of things in all those states. Okay. Notice, Hovind claims to have studied paleontology in 37 countries, but we have no reason to believe that he ever attended it. You're, you're going off, uh, diverting from the fact here. I asked where you studied paleontology. Your Wikipedia says, page says, you studied paleontology. What does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't mention a university. It doesn't mention where. It doesn't mention who the teacher was. 
I'm trying to be ask you a simple logical question. Yeah, if you mean studying rocks and ancient history, sure, I do that all the time. Any classes in any of them, and we know he didn't. He, you know he didn't take classes in any of those. Okay, let's keep going here. Is the one who only walked onto a campus and picked up rocks. Making false assumptions about every pile of dirt you happen to see is not the same thing as formally studying a field that he obviously knows nothing at all about. I think I know quite a bit about that. I'm trying to get you to offer your evidence for evolution. It's been 12 min 13 minutes now, and you haven't offered any yet. But no, I, you can study all... Charles Darwin, was, his only degree was in theology. Theology. He went to school to be a preacher. Was he a scientist, Mr. Nelson? Hit pause right here and answer that question. Was he a scientist? They called them naturalists back then, but effectively, yes. There's always an expectation of academic credentials, but there really are only two requirements for him to be a scientist. One was that he did science. He did the field exploration, acquired the evidence and inspired the theory, and followed that with extensive lab research. Then he met the second criteria when he published a working explanation of his proposed mechanism, which included repeatable observations and testable hypotheses, how to verify if he's right or falsify if he's wrong. Specifically, Darwin predicted that if he was wrong, we shouldn't find any clear transitions in the fossil record, but if he was right, then we should find very specific transitions. If birds descend from dinosaurs, as his friend Thomas Huxley suggested, then we should find a fossil bird with unfused wing fingers, just like dinosaurs have. Two years later, German quarrymen discovered exactly that, and Darwin's theory was vindicated for the first of what would be many times over. General public viewing our exchange will see every round of this debate, and the winner will be clear, even if I don't declare it, and he refuses to admit it. Well, the winner will be clear if I don't, if he refuses to admit it. In other words, he's already decided he won, hasn't he? Is that, that, the, is that the way you would interpret that? Maybe we should have a counter up someplace, you know? Put a counter up. How many think? Uh, Aaron is being rational and is uh, proving his point. How many think Kent is rational, proving his point? Okay.